So Money episode 46, Chris Brogan. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. It's Farnoosh. How are you? How's it going? You know, it's around late February, and even though this is not something we like to admit, we know all too well that just around this time of year is when our New Year's resolutions go south, right? Kaput. New Year's resolutions do not always pan out the way that we want, to say the least. In fact, stats show that right around this time of year, most of us will simply abandon our goals, whether it was to lose weight, whether it was to quit smoking, whether it was to save more, get out of debt, uh, you name it. If you've wondered why, though, like why? Why are we so bad at sticking to our own promises? Or more importantly, what can help us get over those hurdles You're going to love today's episode. You're going to love today's guest. Chris Brogan is the CEO of Owner Media Group. He is a highly, highly sought-after speaker and the New York Times bestselling author of not one, not two, but eight books. He is an expert in leadership development who works with professionals like you and such well-known brands as Disney, Coke, and Google. Now, through his work, Chris has discovered the missing element in accomplishing his own goals, and as a result, he's uh, created a fantastic program called A Brave New Year Program. It's an eight-week online class which gives information, coaching, and I think most importantly, community to help you achieve your New Year's resolutions and really any goal that you're looking to accomplish. Three takeaways from our time with Chris. One, a financial habit that keeps Chris's money in check. Two, how to succeed with New Year's resolutions, as I talked about earlier. And three, a key link between being yourself and making money. And what weirdness has to do with it? If you're weird, you're going to love this podcast. Here is Chris Brogan. Chris Brogan, welcome to So Money. I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Thrilled to be here. We're very fortunate to have you on the show, given the timing. I mean, I don't want to uh, uh, be negative here, but let's be honest. A lot of folks on the podcast, including myself, we're probably not going to complete our New Year's resolutions. This is around uh, February. We're recording this interview. And stats just show that a lot of us uh, uh, depart from our goals, resolutions, whatever you want to call them, around this time of year. But we have you, which is good news because for some time now, for a few years, you have uh, created and and, uh, delivered the Brave New Year program. And I'd like to start there, Chris, and, and have you share with us uh, why you think we are just so bad at sticking to our goals and how uh, Brave New Year program can get us over the hurdles? Well, a lot of times what people do with re- resolutions, for instance, is that they just sort of pick something somewhat randomly. And it's weird how people come to this. A lot of times they might be at some holiday party or something and they'll say, oh, here's what I'll do. And it's usually around our misgivings, which is also kind of a weird place to come from too. I mean, we almost always think from the perspective of here's something negative I feel about myself that I think I'll change. Um, And one thing that humans are really powerfully good at 
uh, not doing is uh, really trying to rally around something negative. No one, no one wants to get around something and say, we're not number one. We're still really bad. You know, hooray, right? Like they don't have parades for that. I mean, we're good at feeling bad, but we're not really good at uh, trying to fix it by rallying around it. So I have a thing that I do at the very beginning of every year called My Three Words that I've been doing since 2006. And then that sort of evolved into something called Brave New Year, which was just a way to, to really launch the year in a process instead of just launching it through uh, a resolution you're going to forget a short while later. So the the program I put together, it's just an eight week course. There's a, a little group of people that are hidden inside a little private group. And that the, the point of the whole thing, I guess, if you looked at from a really far distance is a, a framework to work on some goals and challenges and a group of people to help support that. Because I think that those two things together, capabilities plus connections mm -hmm. is really what gets us moving forward. Well, I'm considering taking a closer look. It's only, it's less $100 right now, which is pretty hard to beat. And uh, so that's, I think, more than my monthly coffee routine. So I think I can probably make the investment. You created this program, Chris, because you, you yourself struggled with accomplishing goals. I kind of have a hard time believing that. Well, you know, in, in my case, it's more that I wanted to get to an even higher level. I mean, when you reach some level of success at all, uh, there's a real strong possibility that what you might end up doing is choosing not to do anything further or bigger or whatever. There's just a lot of ways to get at that. So for instance, you feel like, uh, oh, well, I've really kind of hit some sort of stride and now everything's great. But what we learn is that if we're not really trying to advance ourselves, then we're going to slip backwards. There really is no solid set state. You know, we're, we're always either improving or, you know, decreasing our abilities. What I really like about the program from what, I can, what I've read is that there is a private community, which I think, uh, especially when it comes to financial goals and career goals, having an accountability partner or partners in this case uh, is priceless. And it can really be the difference between not accomplishing your goals and finishing and crossing that finish line. For those of us who do have financial goals, Chris, is there a specific muscle that we need to flex in order to, to, uh, to have success? One of the things that we tend to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is that we tend not to align ourselves very well. So, uh, for instance, we say something like, you know, my goal is to make a million dollars this year. And then we never really think about what does that really mean? And, and it's about $22,000 a week. And then once we get to even that number, we go, ah, that's a lot. And that's the end of that. Um, but a lot of times, you know, no one's real goal is to make the million dollars. Their goal is to uh, live with a slight improved comfort. Their goal is to, uh, you know, pay off such and such a bill that they've been feeling bad about for such a long time or uh, to be able to go to such and such a vacation. So with alignment, what we do is we take all these separate things. We take all these separate little pieces of what we're doing and we try to align them into, in, into a better world story. So we understand stories really well. Unfortunately, the stories we believe the most are the negative ones we tell ourselves. If, uh, you know, if somewhere early in life we were, we found out we were bad at money, then we just keep saying I'm bad at money. But that's like a toddler saying, man, I can't get this walking thing figured out. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> we're all toddlers in something. And so I think that the next uh, goal for Anoush is to, to kind of move it forward. So I just try to help people find other methodologies to get towards that. I like that. We are all toddlers at something, meaning it's only a matter of time that you might get better at it, but you need to 
be deliberate about it and hopefully have some support. I have a seven-month-old, and just this morning I was trying to teach him how to move his legs <laughs> so that <laughs> he can just understand kind of like, okay, this is standing, this is walking. You actually have the ability to be mobile. Um, I don't know. I'm probably uh, ruining my life right now by doing that because they say once they start to move, life is over. Well, right. Why? I was thinking that, like, why rush it? You know? <laughs> why rush it? You can right? grab lots of things. Exactly. Uh, I want to uh, pull a quote that you uh, had on your blog and that I love, and I want to um, ask you about it. You said once on stage that the stranger I became, the weirder I became, the more money I made, the more true I was to who I really was, um, and the more I started making money. What did you mean by that? I love that. It's almost quite literal. Um, what I found was that uh, a lot of our life, since maybe, let's say, fifth grade or so, uh, age 11, maybe age 10, we start trying to hide who we really are. And it usually comes because either our parents or some, most often some kid at school says, why are you doing that? That's weird. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly go, oh, I've just stepped past some line and I didn't even know there was a line. And that's where things get crazy. So I think that once that happens, then we start trying to figure out how to fit in. And then we, there's a lot around us that forces us to try even harder to fit in. And so as we kind of go through life, we get towards like high school age and, oh my gosh, there's nothing, you know, that's the only thing you want in life is to be invisible. Uh, we get to college sometimes and we do that thing where we try to stand out, but we do it in fake, uh, you know, ways that don't really match who we are. And then somewhere, so usually in our thirties, if we're lucky, we start to go, oh, here's who I really am. And, you know, that might be someone saying, look, I don't like New Year's Eve and I don't ever want to go to a New Year's Eve party again. Or it might be, you know, I like business casual. I like casual casual. I don't think I ever want to dress formally. Or someone will say, hey, I, I want to wear a suit every day, even if I'm not meeting anybody. If I'm just sitting in my house talking to myself, I'd like to be in a suit. But I think that you know, when we get to those places that we start understanding who we really are, it's again, it's the alignment thing. And for me, I'm weird. I see things different ways. I, I communicate in a different way than other people. I use words that people don't tend to use the way I do. And, you know, I talk about things that people are really not intended on talking about, you know, like pooping. And <laughs> I, I find that, you know, if you're on a stage with 7,000 people and you say, you know, think about the last time you were pooping and checking your email at the same time, almost always the audience will go, oh, and then I'll pause and make a face and I'll go, oh, like you don't poop. <laughs> right. And the truth is we do. And, and we do check our email, whether or not we want to tell other people we do. And my point as a marketing person in that moment is to say, don't make your email 8,000 words long because you know, you don't want that kind of wish that kind of poop on anyone and see, there's the, there's the bad joke. <laughs> but for news, there's a point because the other opposite of that is saying the same thing. Everyone says using the same language, everyone says, and it's the same as me saying to you, when was the last time you saw a mile marker on the highway? Right. Don't you, you haven't. Think, don't you think it's a shame that we don't encourage weirdness in school? I've, I've done a lot of research on risk and, and what keeps us from taking risks. And I think being weird is a risk sometimes, especially in a conforming society. School is sometimes where we are uh, um, turned off by, you know, taking risks and, and being independent and being uh, really tapping into our individualism. Uh, because it's such a conforming institution. What do you think about that? Should schools start to be more, more cognizant of uh, promoting, you know, independence and weirdness? 
Well, I, your most recent guest, uh, Seth Godin, uh, talked to one of your other guests, James Altucher, about this, and it, it echoes something that I've been saying for a long time, which is that schools really, uh, since the 1950s, have been part of the factory system. Mm-hmm. And we built schools to teach people how to you know, sit still. Uh, and we taught people how to sit still because we wanted them to move uh, a cog along a belt somewhere. Uh, I live in what used to be a factory uh, in Massachusetts. It's Before there was Detroit making cars, I live where carriages were made for horse-drawn carriages for most of the U.S. And so the beams around me are uh, echoing from taking people off their farm so that they could come here and put upholstery in horse buggies. And so I think that school is built around that system, whether or not they want to be. And imagine what the whole process is. The whole process is to teach kids that are full of energy and wild and athletic to sit still and it, it, to, to burn them into sitting still so that we can say to them 20 years later, man, you got fat and you better <laughs> move happened? your happened? Yeah. So. You let yourself go. Right. Uh, I'd like to transition now to some of my so many questions if you're game. Go for it. Okay. Well, we kind of touched on a philosophy, which is that being weird is good for you. It helps you make money. Would you say that is your financial philosophy or is there one that's even greater that encompasses, you know, uh, the Chris Brogan, the, the Chris Brogan money mentality? I would say my money mentality uh, is is probably warped for one thing, but I can say that uh, what I've done all along is I believe that in the service of others is where you find your money. So uh, whenever I'm not where I want to be with money, I don't say, how do I make more money? I think, what haven't I done lately to help someone? And quite often that's where the money comes. So my money, my money mentality is all around service. I love that. How about a financial fail, if you wouldn't mind indulging us, really? Because I think we've all gone through failure, and it's it's almost cathartic to hear uh, other successful people uh, talk about their biggest failure, in this case, a financial one, but then one that ultimately led itself to more success, perhaps. Well, I, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about entrepreneurship with people is that it, it, most people look at it as like you hit a certain success level and then you're there. And what's really more true is it's like a sawtooth. You know, there's an up part and a down part and an up part and a down part over and over again. And no one ever says that. No one says it'll level out and you'll just be great all the time. Um, last year, at almost at the same time, about March of 2014, I was, it was the first time my company wasn't able to make payroll. So I paid my, uh, the, there's only three three of us full-time staff. We have some contract guys as well. And I paid one of the full-time persons. I paid myself a little and my president a little, and that was about it. And like, it hurt, you know, it wasn't like I had a, you know, don't worry, I'll just go to the bank and take some extra out there to cover. Uh, it was pretty much down to the bone because I think that's how entrepreneurs tend to operate if they don't take other people's money which I think of as getting a job. So um, that's happened a bunch of times. I mean, I've had, I've had situations in months since then where, I mean, the whole rest of that year we recovered and we were great. Um, but then January came around this year and it was the same thing. It was like, man, we're just not where we need to be numbers wise. And so I had to really work at it. Um, besides that fail, uh, all across 2010, I, and this number sounds so big to some people, but believe me, I didn't have this money. I spent $400,000 uh, on a whole bunch of things that didn't work. And when I say that I didn't have $400,000, I basically spent everything I was earning, 
uh, on all kinds of projects that didn't ultimately pan out. So what I learned from that, Farnoosh, is a couple things. One, I, it turns out I'm not Richard Branson. I do not have 400 companies worth of employees to execute my wild ideas. So I really need to focus on one or two ideas at a time. Two, um, I found that if you uh, shoot big, then you were going to fall big, but that's the only way to go. Three, overhead walks on two feet. Uh, which I got from the late Felix Dennis, who uh, founded a whole bunch of magazines in Britain and then Maxim here in the U.S. And I think the uh, the final lesson is just that uh, if you you know you can't ride two horses well, you just really have to be on one horse and serving one kind of group of people. Yeah, and sometimes it's scary to just focus on that one thing because in the meantime you're perhaps turning away business. Um, but I'm learning more and more speaking to people like you and, and others who are very successful, that that ultimately needs to be part of your journey and your destination is like really just figuring out what is the one thing you want to be the best at in the world as opposed to the jack of all trades. Absolutely. And, and there's a few things that make us nervous about that. I mean, uh, everyone says to go into some specific niche and I, and I disagree. I think that we really need sort of a wide palette to work from so that we can really encompass all the things that we're doing. You know, yours is wealth and wealth acquisition. And that's a big topic that you can look at with lots of different angles. And, and I like that about what you do. In my, in my case, what I work on is I work on the principles of ownership, which is the whole concept of how do I help somebody figure out what are the real baselines they need to own their life and thus own their business. So I I teach people to be owners inside of companies as well as outside of companies. So they can either run the shop or just work at a desk. So I think that with that in mind, then everything lines up in a much better place. How about a so money moment, Uh, a a moment in life where you really achieved financial greatness? And I'm sure there were uh, more than a few uh, moments like this, but one that really stands out and and had some really great takeaways for us. I'm I'm sort of laughing because this is similar to, I was interviewed by Tony Robbins a long time ago for his internet money master series. And I kept teasing him saying, dude, I'm like the poorest dude on this list. So (laughs) I don't know, I don't know why you have me here, but okay. Um, because I got to hang out with him. The answer is, uh, you know, uh, the, the moments in my life where something financially happened were, were those rare times where you get to either make someone else's dream come true or handle one of your small dreams. So for instance, uh, one of my best years, I had never, ever had like what anyone would consider a nice car or whatever. And it's such a material thing to say, but I bought myself a Camaro and I was like, yeah, I have the Batmobile. I also live in Northern uh, Massachusetts. So that car is right now under several feet of snow. I was and, born in Worcester, which I hear they got like oh 81 my, inches so far. That's well, Worcester crazy. is, Worcester gets all the horrible weather. So <laughs> I can tell you that, you know, you're, if we you get pooped on a lot. You'd be doomed. But, um, you know, so my big financial idea was to buy a car that I could barely drive, you know, three or four months out of the year. Now, the other thing about financial moments, just to, to go with this so money moment, is that my favorite ones are just when I was able to make something else happen for somebody else. So working on something like Invisible People, which deals with homeless people, uh, uh, dealing with um, skipit.org, skip1.org, sorry, which is uh, feeding people. I, I, those are my moments. Those The moments where I can put some kind of money in somebody else's pocket for a charitable experience mm-hmm. are the ones that have lastingly made me feel good. Because as much as I love the Batmobile, like I said, it's under a pile of snow. Well, it's been proven that when we uh, invest our money in things that uh, create experiences, good memories, uh, charitable actions, those actually correlate to higher levels of happiness, whereas buying the Camaro or buying a sweater from Banana Republic, you know, whatever, whatever your your jam is, like that is not going, maybe in that moment you're excited about it, but it, it really doesn't last. 
Right. No, absolutely. I, I think that it's a, I think it's one of those things where I, I, if, if we, if you're someone who's not come from money, there's that moment you have to go through where you have to spend your money and you have to go, yay. And then, you know, luckily if, if, if you're lucky, you kind of grow up about it and you go, okay, now I'm going to try to live like somebody different. And right. I, that's the way I look at it. I don't need, uh, I don't need 20 really fancy watches. I have two that I like. That's all. How about habits, uh, Chris? What are some habits that you practice that necessarily help keep your your business and also your your financial health in check? I've been working on this a while, and I think that you know really good discipline is basically based, based on good commitment, which is based on loving yourself. So, for instance, I go to the gym quite often, and I think that habit of really working my body helps me in a lot of ways with my business because it reminds me that you know your goals sometimes don't look like they're as close as they are, but they're made out of what you do every day. I think that the other kind of habits that I do that are a little bit more tactical for people are I don't read email first thing in the morning. I always tell people that your email is the perfect delivery system of other people's priorities. And so why would you ever want to start your day? Genius. Reading other people's stuff. So thanks for I, framing it that way. I, <laughs> I never thought of it like that. Well, if you think about it, that's what we do in the morning because we're sort of wired to be reactive and we're wired to think, oh, I hope somebody who bought my something or rather isn't mad at me. I mean, it's, it's kind of how we're all built or the opposite. I hope someone has some great opportunity that will steer me astray from my mission. But I think that if we really kind of work from our mission first and we, we work from our real intentions, our goals and what we've committed to ourselves, then then we have time to slot in other people's stuff. And I think that I'm not one of those people that has those horrible email out of offices that say, thank you. I check my email twice a day at my convenience, uh, but <laughs> I check my email at my convenience. Yes, I've gotten uh, a lot of bounce backs like that. It's a little annoying. I check email at 12 o'clock every Tuesday. So if I don't get to you right away, that's why. Thanks. Uh, And last but not least, Chris, I'd love to know, and I I have a few questions, but I want to respect our time. We only have a couple of minutes. So I'll I'll ask uh, my favorite of my so money fill in the blanks, which is that what is the one thing that you spend your money on that makes your life easier or better or both? Wow. That's a great question. Uh, Wow. You know, I'm trying to think a lot deeper than I think I probably have to, (laughs) but, um, you know, I would say that I keep my technology pretty up to date. And I'm not usually Mr. Needing the Bleeding Edge, but I think it's kind of important to have the right technology to do your job. So I have a big old computer on my desk. I have a nice thin laptop and a tablet and a phone. So I would say that that's probably what makes me happy. It makes it all better and easier and everything works better that way. All right. That's a great answer. You don't have to think about it too hard. That was a really, really good answer. Chris Brogan, thank you so much, CEO of Owner Media Group. And I will be checking out The Brave New Year. Um, totally, you're not, you know, this is completely on my own. I'm very much interested in this. And I hope that listeners will also check it out. Thanks so much. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Farnoosh. That's a wrap, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Chris Brogan, please, I implore you, visit his website. It's 
phenomenal. It's a great blog. It's got lots of resources, chrisbrogan.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's a social media influencer, at Chris Brogan. We've got all the links at somoneypodcast.com. And there, of course, you can find the transcript from this interview and all the comments. I'm sure there's going to be tons and tons of comments. And as always, I want to hear from you. Send me your question. Head over to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and ask me whatever you want. I am an open book, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I don't think there's a question that I won't answer, uh, you know, like to an extent. I mean, let's keep it clean, okay? Um, You can also tweet me at Farnoosh. Use the hashtag SoMoney. And I've been slipping this into the podcast as well because we're almost through with our new and noteworthy campaign. So iTunes, for those of you who are not familiar with how podcasts work on iTunes, they select uh, a handful of new podcasts as their favorites, as the new and noteworthy. And fortunately, so many has been selected and been given that designation. And so for anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks, you will then be listed among the um, kind of the first 20 or so podcasts on every page within the podcast store in iTunes. You get kind of this primo placement. And our time is almost up as a new and noteworthy. And I've heard that the best way to ensure that you don't fall into the ether, that you don't just fall into obscurity on iTunes, is to get your fans, you, you have the power to help me. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can help this podcast continue to shine its light in iTunes by just leaving a review. It's as simple as that. I know it's time consuming, but if you love the show and you want it to continue to go on and uh, attract new listeners and get great guests, the most important thing is to leave a review on iTunes. And when you do, please let me know. Please let me know. Don't forget, very important. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com, and I'm going to get back to you with a thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Chris, and I hope your day is so money.